The Productive Woman, Episode 261. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you for joining me. Welcome. I am so glad you're here. In this episode, we're going to be talking about isolation, loneliness, and productivity. You'll find more information and links to some resources I mentioned all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 261. This episode is brought to you by the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. They provide learning pathways for those seeking career advancement or personal enrichment through a wide range of educational opportunities, including certificate and specialized studies programs, short courses, and strategic partnerships. They offer courses and certifications taught by industry practitioners in a wide range of categories from business and leadership to tech, project management, law, engineering, human resources, and over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs on campus and online designed for the working professional. Their 100% online courses offer convenience and flexibility and a real immersive online classroom experience, even collaboration with your peers, which is a great learning tool. Their open enrollment process means that there are no applications to complete. You just log in and sign up. You can pay for a single course or enroll in an entire certificate program. You have full control over your academic plan. You can advance your career in as little as six months. As we're talking about this, their fall quarter is coming up and registration is open now. So visit ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and enter TPW for 15% off one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and enter the promo code TPW to get 15% off one course. This offers only valued valid until December 31st, 2019. So don't wait. If getting uh, more education is part of your plan for this year, this is your chance. I look forward to hearing how it works for you. This episode was born out of a conversation, actually a couple of conversations that I had with different people at different times. Specifically, one day, a couple of weeks ago, I was trading some uh, instant messages with a colleague at my law practice about feeling lonely, about the isolation that comes from working at home instead of going into an office each day. And I got to thinking about that you know, she and I were having similar experiences there. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized isolation and loneliness are common consequences of working remotely, but it's possible to be lonely, even if you're constantly with other people. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought this was worth exploring how it impacts our ability to be productive, both in the sense of getting the things done that we care about, but also in making a life that matters as we define it. So as I often do, 
I wanted to start by exploring a little bit the difference between isolation and loneliness. The two can go hand in hand, but they're not the same thing. Isolation is simply being separated from other people, whereas loneliness is a feeling that can come regardless of how many other people are around. One article that I read kind of put it this way, social isolation is an objective measure of the number of contacts that people have. So it's just a number. How many times do you interact with other people, have contact with other people. The article says social isolation is about the quantity and not quality of relationships. And this writer points out that people may choose to have a small number of contacts. People may choose to not have a lot of contact with other people. The article then says, on the other hand, that loneliness is a subjective feeling about the gap between a person's desired levels of social contact and their actual level of social contact. So loneliness refers, the article says, to the perceived quality of the person's relationships. Loneliness, this writer says, is never desired and lessening these feelings can take a long time. So it was helpful to have that context for talking about this. There is a difference between isolation and loneliness. The two can go together, but they don't have to. Now, the more research that I did on this, the more, I guess, data I found that kind of confirmed what I thought maybe was the case. Uh, and, And a question that I put to you, based on your experience, I guess, is, are isolation and loneliness a 21st century epidemic. Uh, There is some indication that that's the case, which I think is kind of strange in a way because travel and communication are so much easier now in the 21st century than they have been in past centuries. But the fact that we can easily travel, that we can easily communicate, even with people who are distant, has not actually made things better for us in terms of those feelings of isolation and loneliness. One writer said, with digital connection increasingly replacing face-to-face human interaction, loneliness is spreading around the world like a virus. This was in, um, I think the Australian version of Vogue.com. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of putting it, that we are more digitally connected than we've ever been. And yet loneliness is, as this writer said, spreading around the world like a virus. To the point that uh, this, I, maybe you knew about this, but I, this was something I learned in researching for this episode, that in 2018, the UK appointed for the first time ever in the world that we know of, a minister for loneliness. And I thought, you know, this was a government recognizing that this was an issue in that country and taking action to, to come up with some solutions for it. Yet, uh, another writer said that loneliness is not a universal condition, nor this writer says, is it a p- purely visceral internal experience? It's less a single emotion and more a complex cluster of feelings composed of anger, grief, fear, anxiety, sadness, and shame. 
And this, this writer says it also, it being loneliness also has social and political dimensions shifting through time, according to ideas about the self God and the natural world. And there's, there's a lot of research out there, a lot of, um, thinking about this, a lot of, a lot being written about this epidemic of isolation and loneliness in the 21st century and what the causes of it might be. Several talked about this epidemic of loneliness being the consequence of a change in our worldview, our, our thinking as a, as a society about the individuals and the place of individuals in society as a whole. One article said the contemporary notion of loneliness stems from cultural and economic transformations that have taken place in the modern West industrialization, the growth of the consumer economy, the declining influence of religion and the popularity of evolutionary biology all serve to emphasize that the individual was what mattered, not traditional paternalistic visions of a society in which everyone had a place. And boy, there's so much to unpack there because, you know, it talks about traditional visions of, of a society where everyone had a place. Historically, uh, maybe things were a bit more hierarchical and everyone was born into a certain class or a certain place in society and they knew what their place was. And of course we know that there are downsides to that. There are negative aspects of it, but the, the, uh, the evolution of our collective thinking about society and the, and the individual into a place where today, uh, especially in the United States and in the, in the West in general, I think where the individual takes preeminence, we, you know, we're all encouraged to be ourselves and, and be self-sufficient and all those sorts of things. Well, interestingly, with all the, the good things that can come from that, there appears to be a, a, result that maybe we didn't expect. And that is this so-called epidemic of loneliness, these feelings of being isolated and separate from others and all those emotions that go with it. Um, when the, the article that I've been uh, quoting from talking about the history of loneliness and it's fascinating. And there is a link to this article in the show notes. It's worth reading. If, if you're interested in this, this article says loneliness can exist only in a world where the individual is conceived as separate from rather than part of the social fabric. It's clear that the rise of individualism corroded social and communal ties and led to a language of loneliness that didn't exist prior to around 1800. So it's right around the turn of the 19th century where this, the modern conception of loneliness kind of developed. Um, and this article then says, where once philosophers asked what it took to live a meaningful life, the cultural focus has shifted to questions about individual choice, desire, and accomplishment. It is no coincidence, this writer says, that the term individualism was first used and it was a pejorative term. It was a negative term in the 1830s at the same time that loneliness was in the ascendant. If loneliness is a modern epidemic, this writer says, then its causes are also modern. So loneliness has 
we think that the scholars who are studying this kind of developed and expanded and become more of an issue as our collective thinking about individualism has grown as we have focused more and more on individual fulfillment, individual development, individual advancement, all those sorts of things, uh, more so than thinking about society as a whole. For whatever that's worth, I I just think that's interesting as we're looking at the statistics that are out there about how many people report feeling lonely at any given time, it it naturally to me leads to these questions about, well, well, why is that? Why is it, does it seem to be growing that number of people that are reporting feeling lonely? You know, I, I certainly know that feeling, have felt that feeling, as I said, kind of when I opened up the episode, this whole, this whole episode kind of grew out, out of some conversations with a couple of other people who were telling me about feeling lonely and feeling isolated, uh, at a time when I was feeling that myself. And so I thought that was interesting, you know, loneliness, as I said, it can come from isolation, whether physical or emotional isolation from other people. And there are lots of, there's lots of studies out there about how many people spend a lot of time alone. The fact is that we need each other. We are a social, social species. Human beings need other people. There's lots of reasons why that's the case and why it matters. Um, but it's a, it's a fact we, we're, we're herd animals, so to speak. We need the, the group, the herd, the tribe, and even introverts who by definition find alone time restorative, they still need other people. According to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I've talked about that a little bit before, I'll put a link in the show notes to, that kind of explains what that is. You know, that's the pyramid that kind of describes human needs, what it is we need in order to survive and thrive. And the basic, you know, the base of the pyramid are those physiological needs, food, shelter, those sorts of things. That's the base. And the next level up is our safety needs. We have as a species, as as humans need safety in order or in a sense of safety in order to thrive and develop. But once those two basic categories are satisfied, that is those physiological needs and our safety needs, the very next foundational need we have to satisfy is according to Maslow's hierarchy, a need for love and belonging. It is necessary for us to feel good about ourselves. We cannot as individuals or as a species, as a community, as a, as a culture, as a society, we cannot become all we're meant to be without satisfying those needs, those fundamental needs for love and belonging. Um, one article said humans simply aren't built to thrive in isolation. It's impossible for us to show up and execute as the best version of ourselves possible when we're not supported by genuine human accountability. So it is, it is important. We need each other and, um, Isolation has downsides. Uh, It has negative impacts on us. Whether it leads to feelings of loneliness or not, there are negative impacts. Um, There are 
lots of reasons why we might become isolated, lots of causes or sources of it. Um, and I'll, I'll share a few of them just because I think they're interesting and they may, you may recognize yourself in one or more of these. Uh, some of these ideas or for sources or causes of isolation came from a really excellent article about this that I'll put a link in the show notes for so that you can look at it more um, in more depth. There are physical causes of isolation that is being separate. Isolated by definition means you are alone. Maybe you're working remotely and so you spend lots of time alone. That's been a case for me and for my colleague that I was mentioning. Uh, we can be isolated through our loss of loved ones or friends through death or relocation. So maybe someone we had a close connection to has died and we're, we, kind of devolve into isolation because of that. Or maybe we've moved away from our sources of connection or they've moved away from us, resulting in isolation. We can become physically isolated from people who have had meaning for us through estrangement from our family or just a lack of close family ties. Living alone can result in isolation. And there are many, many more of us living alone now than has been true in the past. Uh, lots of articles that I read referred to this. One article said that the number of one-person households has more than doubled in the past 10 or 15 years. So where in the past, it was more, uh, you know, it was kind of very uncommon for one person to live alone. It's, it's now becoming more and more common. I, f I forget what the total percentage is. I want to say it's like, f you know, 40% in the United States of households are one person households. That obviously can result in uh, some isolation. And if you've got a one person household where that person works from home as well, it is absolutely possible that that person could be completely isolated and not, it, it, it is in our 21st century life possible to live in such a way that even if you live in town, that you, you never see a human being. If you live alone, you work from home, you order, you know, things to be delivered through from your grocery store, from Amazon, you, you literally could go days and days and days and never see a, a, another person, you know, face to face. That is very different from past generations. Other possible physical ca causes of isolation might be retirement from work, uh, home relocation. We've mentioned starting out in a new role or in a new community. Um, some people become isolated because they have difficulty in meeting new people, either because uh, they don't have access to new people. Maybe they live out in the country or they uh, have mobility issues and can't get out to meet new people uh, through introverted personalities or, or that sort of thing. Poor physical health, frailty, and mobility issues can physically isolate us from other people. And that can result in that isolation that can turn into loneliness. Language or cultural barriers is, are, are another source of isolation or reduced connection with your culture of origin. Those can result in, so if you move to a new country with a different culture and a different language, you can become physically very isolated. And then of course, there's just geographic isolation. If you, you live 
far out in the country, you know, away from civilization, so to speak, you're going to, by definition, be isolated. In addition to those physical sources of isolation, there are emotional causes. Um, losing a loved one, we talked about that a minute ago, can result in us feeling isolated. Uh, feelings of loss or grief can result in us becoming isolated from other people. This is a situation where you can, can be in many ways, emotionally isolated, even from people that you see every day, because you are kind of lost in those feelings of, of loss or grief, a mental health condition such as depression or anxiety can isolate us. Fear of rejection from others or feelings of being different or stigmatized can isolate us. And just generally those feelings of having a lack of purpose can isolate us from others. Sometimes we isolate ourselves, whether knowingly or not, we isolate ourselves to avoid vulnerability. That feeling of if no one gets close, no one can hurt me. And that can be one of those sort of emotional sources of isolation that prevents us from connecting with other people. If we have been hurt in the past, it's easy to think, well, I just won't let anybody get close to me because then they can't hurt me. The problem is that vulnerability is a necessity, that exposure, vulnerability, being open to being hurt, right? Brene Brown in her TED talk on shame talks about this. She says, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. This was a really good TED talk. I'm, I will put the link in the show notes. I encourage you to have a look at this. It's not very long, but there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, I had seen it before and I watched it again in preparing for this episode and really thinking about for my own sake, uh, you know, from in my own life, the ways that maybe I've isolated myself, put up those walls. You know, we do that sometimes to protect ourselves when someone we cared about, someone we thought cared about us hurt us. And we recover to some degree from that experience with a determination not to let it happen again. Right. And yet we cannot be connected to other people without being vulnerable to being hurt. Brene, in, in another one of her TED Talks, this one on vulnerability, she talks about this, that people who live wholehearted, the ones who are able to um, go out there and do things and recover from, from setbacks and that sort of thing, she calls them wholehearted. What she found in her research uh, was that those people shared certain characteristics. They have the courage to be who they are in front of other people. They have compassion first for themselves and then for others. And they have connection that's born of authenticity. And that really caught my attention that that connection that those people have is born out of authenticity. If we are not able to be our authentic selves, if we are cutting ourselves off or hiding part of who we are from the people around us, then we lose that ability to connect. We're not, even with, uh, you know, people that we would consider friends, even close friends, if we are not 
our authentic selves with them, we have not truly connected with them. So the wholehearted people, as Brene talks about, are those who have connections with other people that are born out of authenticity. They find the people they can be themselves with, and they're able to connect in a deeper way than they otherwise would be able to. Those people are willing to be vulnerable. And she talked about um, the interviews that she did in this research, them saying things like the willingness to say, I love you first, or to invest in a relationship that might not work out. Those are things that are scary for a lot of us. And yet they are necessary. That vulnerability of putting yourself out there is necessary in order to avoid isolation, loneliness, and the effects of both. One of the things Brene says in her book, Rising Strong, that I thought was so, um, it just really caught my attention and I've been thinking about it a lot since I read it or reread it, that is. Um, she says, within families and in other close relationships, we love each other and we hurt each other. The question becomes, what has to end or die so we can experience a rebirth in our relationships? I think the point of, of that is that we have choices. When we get close to each other, pain will ensue. That's, that's what the vulnerability is. We put ourselves out there. We are human. We are fallible on both sides of any relationship. It's likely that we're going to hurt each other. And our choices are to walk away, to withdraw, to isolate ourselves and bear the consequences of that. Or in the alternative, ask ourselves the question, that, that Brene mentions there, what has to end or die so we can experience a rebirth in our relationships instead of isolating ourselves in a truly a vain attempt to protect ourselves from pain, what has to end so that we can reconnect and, and re, re, revive those relationships that we need. I think, you know, the more I read as I was thinking about this and researching for this, the more I realized it's kind of the, one of the great dilemmas of humanity. We need connection to survive much less to thrive, but connection makes us vulnerable and vulnerability is terrifying to most of us. And so that's, that's that dilemma that leads to in many cases, and I, I guess in a growing number of cases, if, if the research that I read is any indication, uh, more and more isolation, loneliness, and what comes from it. So what does come from it? What are the effects of isolation? Remember, we're talking about that isolation is simply the quantity of interactions you have with other people, whereas loneliness is a qualitative and evaluation of how you feel about that, basically. Isolation actually can have some positive effects. It can have some upsides. We need a certain amount of isolation in the sense of solitude for some kinds of thinking and some kinds of deep work that we need to do. We've talked about that in the past. I think 
a certain amount of solitude is a necessity for achieving our goals, accomplishing the things that matter to us and making a life that matters. We can't, there are certain things we can't do in a crowd. Okay. So there are some positive sides of, of isolation. There is some research out there that indicates that people work faster and more efficiently in isolation. One article I read in the, uh, at sciencedaily.com talked about research that was done by the University of Calgary F- Faculty of K- Kinesiology. A researcher there said that regardless of their intentions, having an individual working on a different task within your field of vision could be enough to slow down your performance. So the study they were doing was having, you know, the study subjects work on a certain task, some of them working alone where they couldn't see other people and then working on the task in an environment where they could see somebody else, you know, in their field of vision, working on something else. And what they found is regardless of intentionality or anything else, just having somebody else in your field of vision doing a different task than you're doing slowed you down. Uh, was that was enough to slow your performance of whatever the task is. And what this researchers say is, and I'm quoting from the article here, because I just thought this was interesting. The reason for this is a built-in response interpretation mechanism that is hardwired into our central nervous systems. If we see someone performing a task, we automatically imagine ourselves performing that task. This behavior is part of our mirror neuron system. So what slows us down is if we see someone, we subconsciously start to imagine ourselves doing that. And that because our brains can only do one thing at a time, we've talked about multitasking a lot. If our brain is even for a moment, kind of picturing us doing what that other person is doing, then it slows down our ability to do the thing we're supposed to be doing. So again, there, there are advantages to doing certain types of work in isolation. And there are advantages to things like remote work. As I've talked about from, from my experience working remotely, no commute, comfortable working environment. It's pretty awesome to be able to work in your yoga pants and, and, uh, you know, be able to take a break and, and get something healthy to eat out of the refrigerator instead of running to the sandwich shop next door or something like that. So there are advantages. I guess my point is isolation isn't all bad. It isn't intrinsically bad. It isn't only bad. Uh, there are some upsides to it, but there are downsides to isolation and particularly to loneliness. And uh, there was a great article uh, on this, again, that I will link to in the show notes if you want to do a little more research into this, because I want them to have credit for the the work that they've done here. Um, This writer says that long periods of loneliness or social isolation can have a negative impact on your physical, mental, and social health. Uh, There can be physical symptoms like aches and pains, headaches, or illnesses. There can be mental health conditions. Uh, People who spend long periods of time isolated and particularly with uh, having feelings of loneliness have an increased risk of depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. Uh, Other possible um, 
signs or symptoms of that can come from long periods of loneliness or isolation, low energy, you know, tiredness and lack of motivation, difficulty sleeping, dietary problems, loss of appetite, substance abuse, and negative feelings like feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, or even suicidal thoughts. All of these things have been documented as potential consequences of uh, long periods of loneliness or isolation. There are multiple studies that have shown that living with loneliness increases your odds of an early death by 45%. I found that shocking. Um, so this is living with loneliness, not, you don't have to be isolated to be lonely. So we've kind of transitioned from talking about just isolation, separatedness, but into this, these feelings of loneliness. And, and there were so many articles that talked about a lot of different studies that have been done on this people of different age groups, different nationalities, there's, um, different genders, everything across the board, the general number there is that living with loneliness long-term increases your odds of an early death by 45%. That's a greater impact than, um, air pollution, uh, excessive alcohol consumption and obesity. All of those things can impact your lifespan, but not nearly as much as extended periods of loneliness. I heard about this or heard it best expressed in a Ted talk about the lethality of loneliness that I will link to in the show notes, really encourage you to check it out. So it has an impact obviously on our, all of those things, all those symptoms or those negative effects of isolation and loneliness affect our ability to get our stuff done, right? We can't, um, be productive in the sense of getting the things done that we care about. If we are not healthy physically, mentally, or emotionally, if we're suffering from low energy or sleep problems or all these things that can happen as a result of being lonely, that's why this matters. That's why I'm talking about this on a productivity podcast, because it's, it's not, I mean, it's interesting sort of scientifically, but there's more to it than that. It has an actual impact on our ability to get stuff done and certainly our ability to live a meaningfully productive life and uh, even to live a long life. So what are some, what are the things that we can do about this? As I said, I'm going to be linking to a number of articles in the show notes. If this is something you've been thinking about or struggling with, I do encourage you to go to the show notes at theproductivewoman.com slash 261 and scroll down to the bottom. You'll see a link or uh, links to a bunch of articles and other resources that can help you that you can um, go a little deeper and maybe find some, some solutions that will work for you. Uh, but I wanted to throw out a couple of them before, before we kind of ended this episode. The first thing I would say in terms of remedies for isolation or loneliness um, across the board, everybody that writes about this, everybody that studied this, says that social media is not the answer. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us talk about the fact that it's so ironic that in an age when we are so connected digitally, you know, on Facebook, you can have hundreds or thousands of friends and Twitter, you can 
see what everybody's talking about in Instagram and all of these ways. We're so connected. Uh, and, and social media has some great ad advantages. It gives you the opportunity to keep track of what people are doing who live far away from you. So, I mean, I love Facebook for that reason. Friends from high school that I haven't seen since we were in high school, we can still chat periodically. I can see pictures of their kids and, you know, their vacations and stuff like that. So it's not like it's all bad, but it is not the answer. Despite the fact that we can connect digitally with people around the world in an instant, we are lonelier now than we have ever been as a people. So social media is not the answer to isolation or to loneliness. Um, one article talked about alone together, loneliness and, and isolation or social isolation says this, through social media, people theoretically have much wider networks than they did. But research in the social sciences has found that this type of connection does not address loneliness in the same way as offline interaction, and that it may often make us feel worse. Numerous studies have linked greater use of social media and feelings of unhappiness, dissatisfaction with our lives, and social isolation. Um, now, this writer says we don't yet know whether this is cause or correlation, um, it may be that people who feel unhappy or isolated may be more likely to turn to social media for comfort, but it does, the article says, suggest that social media is not an effective way of combating loneliness. So there are, again, many studies that have, have found that people who are on social media a lot feel less happy than people who spend less time on social media. Those who are on social media a lot feel more isolated and um, more dissatisfied with their own lives than the people who spend less time on social media. S something to consider. A study published in 2017 in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine found that social media users feel more isolated than peers who dedicate little time to online networks. And th that statement was made in an article on medical news today. So social media is not the answer, I'm not saying you should give up your Facebook account, but I'm saying if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling lonely, as I will admit I have in, in the last months, social media is not the answer. So what is the answer? There are steps we can take. I mean, the bottom line is that the answer to, to both isolation and loneliness is face-to-face -face contact with other human beings. That's, that's the answer. That's the solution for both of those things. Um, a willingness to put yourself out there, to be vulnerable, as we were talking about a minute ago, uh, is necessary in order to make the kind of connections we need to make to survive and thrive as human beings. So practical steps to take, uh, to deal with isolation, just that separateness, um, if you work from home, like I do find ways to be with other people, um, go to go work at Starbucks or Panera part of the time. One of my favorite writers goes to Starbucks in the morning to write, and she's developed relationships with the baristas at her favorite Starbucks. And she posts things about that on social media, that actual connection. They know her by name. She knows them. They, they have a relationship with each other, but she also 
just sits there and writes and she's doing her work, but there are people around and that can help uh, on the isolation side of it. Maybe again, if you're working from home and you want to be with other people, uh, maybe sometimes instead of a phone conference, schedule a video conference via Skype or Zoom. So you could, you're not in the room with each other, but you can see each other face to face. And it's a different kind of interaction, isn't it? Than email or phone conversations. And certainly schedule some in-person meetings or lunches, either with the, your colleagues or your clients or customers, or just with friends or something, make it a priority, make it happen that instead of spending all day, every day, just working alone in your room, in your office or wherever you are, get out of there, um, and get it on the calendar to have lunch with a friend or do a workout with a colleague or just go for a walk uh, at lunchtime or something. Now, if you realize that you're isolating yourself for one of the emotional reasons we talked about, trying to avoid vulnerability or to, uh, because you're feeling depressed or those sorts of things, then do the thought work that will help get you past that so that you're not intentionally isolating yourself. And maybe you need the help of a coach or a therapist, but it's worth doing that work to deal with that isolation, to, to remove yourself from the constant isolation and what can come of that. So those are a, a couple of ideas for things that we can do to address isolation. Now, loneliness is another thing entirely. As I've said, you can be lonely even when other people are around. So what are the remedies for loneliness? I, I don't have the answers here. Um, I'm, this is something I'm researching because I feel it myself. Um, the first step I think though, is to understand the reality and the impact of loneliness, acknowledge that feeling, un understand the, the negative impacts that it can have on your physical, mental, and emotional health and seek connection on purpose. It's not about the number of friends that you have, but the quality that of those relationships, it, it's better to, ha to have one individual that you trust that you can confide in and who can confide in you. The, the doctor who did that Ted talk about the lethality of loneliness talked about this, that part of the quality of the relationship is that, that mutual willingness to confide in each other find that person in your life, take those steps, put yourself out there, be willing to be vulnerable and reach out to, um, to a friend and, and open yourself up for that. Uh, one practical thing you can do if you're feeling lonely and, and, and you're struggling to find that friend that you can connect with, that you can trust and confide in, um, one person suggested volunteer for something that you're interested in, a cause that's important to you. Um, doctor, it's, I think it's Cacioppo is the one who did that Ted talk. He, he points out that sharing good times together is, is a key to connectedness. And so a way to create some times that you can remember together and share together is to find a cause or an organization that is meaningful to you and volunteer, uh, you know, a few hours a week or a month or whatever. Uh, and you'll start to find like-minded individuals who are also doing that. So again, I don't know that that's, uh, you know, that there, there's not a lot of practical help there. If you're feeling lonely, I guess I would say, 
um, I, I know that feeling. I, I feel that way myself pretty regularly, especially lately. And uh, this is something that I am um, investigating myself, finding ways to address both the isolation and the loneliness and reach out and, and develop those relationships. And for me, in some cases, it's thinking about close friends I've had in the past that we've kind of moved to different locations and we've lost touch. And maybe it's time to reach out to one or more of them and renew that connection because there is a person I know I can trust. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, I would say this, we all feel lonely. Sometimes it is not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. If you, for feeling lonely, um, there are things we can do to address that. I've talked about a few of them here. Understanding where it's coming from, I think is a starting point, but that being said, I feel like it wouldn't be fully doing my job here. I guess if I didn't say that if your loneliness has gone beyond just the, what we all feel sometimes. And if you're having thoughts of hopelessness or, or purposelessness or uselessness or any of those things, or especially if you're having thoughts of hurting yourself, then seek help, reach out to somebody, a therapist, a counselor. There is in the United States, a suicide prevention hotline number that you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's always someone there to answer that phone phone call and help talk you through that. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. If your loneliness is just beyond what you can feel you can endure, there's someone at the end of that line who can help you. Um, if it's less urgent and you want someone to talk to, feel free to email me at feedback at the productive woman.com. And I'm here. I I'll talk to you. Uh, I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional, but I, I understand. And as far as, um, the, the number I gave is for the United States. It looks like most countries have a number like that. And rather than try to say them all, I will post a link in the show notes for this episode for a list of numbers for other countries, uh, a number that you can call whatever country you're in to get help if you're feeling um, helpless and hopeless, and especially if you're feeling like hurting yourself. Um, so those are my thoughts on isolation, loneliness, and making a life that matters. I, I wonder what you think. Does, does isolation or loneliness affect your professional or personal productivity? If so, what are you doing about it? What do you find that helps? If you've got suggestions for how we can deal with loneliness, overcome that, uh, and make better and stronger connections, I'd love to hear what those are. There's lots of ways you can share your feedback on this. You can share your ideas, your thoughts, your questions in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 261 or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. Now I say that, but if you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, uh, maybe that would be a better place to have these conversations um, because it's more private. 
feel free to, to raise your thoughts or your suggestions there. If you want to share your thoughts with me privately, as always, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you. Before we go, just a quick reminder that as this episode is being published, the fall quarter is coming up. Registration is open for courses at the UCI Division of Continuing Education. And you just go to ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and enter TPW to get 15% off one course. I will put a link to this in the show notes because I know the URL is kind of long. And if you're driving, you might not remember it, but it's ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and enter the code TPW to get 15% off one course. And thank you so much to UCI for supporting the Productive Woman podcast. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. As always, I am so grateful to you for spending this time with me. I hope you feel like it was worth the time you invested and that you found something in it that's helpful to you. I would love to hear from you, uh, and I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself, and go make your life matter.